Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. Wow, it's been a it's been a morning already, hasn't it? It feels like it's been a weekend. I, I uh, yesterday had a great uh, great evening. I got to attend my own funeral. And it was it was super fun actually. <laughs> no, we had a really great time last night, and I just got to tell you, my heart uh, today is filled with gratitude uh, for the for the people that shared last night, and for the people that have sent messages and and have have sent encouraging notes uh, to both both myself and Kristen, our family. So we're, we are very, very grateful uh, for that. As I kind of get started this morning, I, I do want to actually say a quick thank you uh, to my family. Uh, my family has made some sig- significant sacrifices uh, to allow me to continue to love people in, in all hours of the day at any moment's notice. And, and it has been a sacrifice to them, and, and I've been very, very grateful for that. And I'm fortunate my, my in-laws are here. And I, I have only been to my in-laws for Christmas like once, I think, in our 28 years of being married. And my DeWald family have always rearranged their Christmas Eve schedule because I had to work. And so I'm grateful for them uh, doing all of those things and, and caring for me along the way. Lastly, I am, I'm really grateful to my daughter, Erica, who has been my faithful sermon typing expert for the last like six years. There you go. Take a bow. Take a bow. Your poor re- Catholic school religious studies teachers um, are, are glad it's over, I think. It's very hard, I think, to teach a class and have a student say, Actually, I don't think it says that. I wrote this sermon just last week. Here's this story and an example. The teacher, I got an email actually about it. The teacher was like, she very much knows. Yeah, awkward, awkward. I think that uh, one of my jobs and one of all leaders' jobs in particular in pastoral ministry is sometimes to be able to stand in front of people and in big groups and small groups and to be able to name what's happening in the room in some sort of a way and, and to be able to name the tension maybe even that's present in the room so that people can calm down a little bit. And, and it has become apparent to me over the last many, many, many years that in doing that, it's, it's just as much about the leader being able to name that so that they can, they can calm down a little bit and it can experience the moment. And so, so I do want to just name that, that there is an awkwardness for me this morning. It's, it's awkward. It's weird. And, and maybe it's awkward for you. I don't know if it's awkward for you or not. But it is a little bit uh, awkward for me today because, because I am like setting this thing down and I'm deeply saddened by it. I'm actually quite sad. And I also am filled with gratitude and joy for all the stories 
of, of life transformation that I know some of you are being reminded of. And so there's like this reality that you can do both things. You can do, you can do sadness and you can do joy and you can do those things simultaneously somehow. A mystery of God. It's the mystery of God and how he made us and created us to be able to do, to do those, those things. You have the capacity like that. I think, it's, I think it's the Spirit of God's capacity in us. It gives us permission and the capacity to do, to do those, those things. Um, as I was stressing uh, about, about today, and I, I've stressed over a lot of sermons over the years, not all of them, but I most definitely was stressing over today's sermon because I was like, I have to say something like, Profound that will be memorable, and everybody will 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 remember that last day that Evan preached his sermon, and blah, 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 all those things. I never heard any of the other sermons he ever preached because they weren't that good. And so I was like, "This is my last chance to do this this great job." And then and then I was reminded that if I haven't already said it and lived it. It's too late. And so my hope is that even today as I talk, that you will not only hear the words that I think God has put on my heart to share with you about what Jesus sees and how Jesus sees us, but that you will also be reminded that it is our theology that is lived out there. That's our true theology. We can say we know lots about the Bible, but we live our theology. We live it. And that's been my hope uh, for all this time here at Lake Ridge, but actually my hope over the whole 28 years of, of serving as a, as a pastor. So today, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you a story. Anyone surprised? I'm going to tell you a story, and then, and then at the end, I do have a couple of words I want to just share with, with us Lake Ridge folks, uh, kind of in a, in a sending off and encouragement. So that's, that's kind of my goal for today, and I, I'll try not to make it too long, but I won't promise. Okay? The story that we're going to talk about today is an encounter with Jesus. It's an encounter that Jesus has with someone in a place that he never should have been, speaking with a person that he never should have been speaking to, having a conversation that they should not likely have had, and Jesus shares his secret at the end of that conversation. His intimate secret at the end of this conversation, and it is a profound story. The story is so important. And the story is the story of the woman at the well. The story is important, not just because of the story and the interaction that he has, but for the place that it happened and the context in which it happens. This conversation takes place between two people that should likely never have been there together and most certainly crossed all kinds of cultural boundaries in order to engage each other in conversation. So the first is the place. The place. Jesus, uh, typically, typically Jews, travel around Samaria, you see. see. See, so Jesus has this conversation with this, with this Samaritan person, and he finds himself in Samaria, and actually, contextually, that was a strange place for a Jewish rabbi to find himself, because they had some, some issues, these two groups of people. 
they had issues. And, and so, so most commonly, Jews would actually, when traveling, would travel around Samaria. They would travel around that place. And the reason why they would travel around that place was because it was full of, guess what? Samaritans. As a Jew, there was real tension between these ethnic and religious groups. And not because they disagreed on everything. It was actually because they disagreed on some things. They actually, both of these, these groups, they, they, they worshipped the same God. They both used the same law of Moses to guide their lives and their stories. Although Samaritans had come to understand a few things differently. Just a few things differently. And one of the primary things that they didn't get along with was where was the most important places to worship? Where was the most important places to worship? Now, you know me if you've been around here and you know that I tell a story and then we take pauses and I throw out a few questions here and there and so that's what we're going to do. So pause. A little pause. Friends, there will always be, always be differences in how we understand God's word. There will always be differences in how we understand God's word. And, and, and what I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't uh, really care to correct this person's thinking. He does not spend a great deal of time correcting what this person th was thinking. He, his conversation was about something so much more important, so much deeper than the disagreements about where they would worship, but something more profoundly important. Right? So this wild story is that because of their differences of opinion, even Jesus would travel around this place. They, they would travel around it because they had determined, Jews had determined, that this, this miss, this little slight difference in the understanding of Scripture required, essentially give them the sense that, the, that it was unholy ground to walk on Samaritan soil. And so they would go around that place. I think it's important to remind everybody that we see Jesus right smack in the middle of what others perceived as unholy ground. And he stops there. And he, he doesn't just make his way quickly through there. He stops there to rest at a place called Jacob's Well. He stops there to rest at a place called Jacob's Well. So, another pause. A question for you, and some of the questions are hard. I think they're hard for me. What or who, what or who have we determined are unholy? How do we feel and how do you feel like avoiding the unholy or the just so-called unholy in your own life and in your own story? How much energy do you spend going around even the difficult things in your own heart? difficult things in our own heart. We spend a ton of energy trying to avoid even the difficult things in our own hearts and lives. I'm an Enneagram 7, and, and I don't talk very much about the Enneagram, even though I'm going to be 
Um, Enneagram sevens have a have kind of an issue with avoiding pain. A good deal of energy in, in us is spent uh, unconsciously trying to go around psychological pain and, and physical pain. And, and I have unconsciously in my life expended a lot of energy trying to avoid painful things in my story. And so even this week, i got to tell you, last night when it was time to go to the party, I did not want to go. Kind of found myself as weird, you know, Tara and a few others had asked me, what do you want, you know, as a going away? And I said, I want a party. Let's have a party. I love stories. Let's tell stories. And then as soon as last night came and I realized that I was, it was going to be emotional and that was going to be hard and it was going to be sad as I was choosing my shirt, I found myself sitting on the bed going, I don't want to do this. My internal life was to, was to avoid the, 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 the sadness of letting something so important to me go. And I realized I didn't want to do it. I wasn't questioning what I believe God has put on my heart in terms of, 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 of moving forward and moving on. Oh, man, I did not want to do that. And i got to be honest with you, I didn't want to do this morning either. It was a part of me that just wanted to run away. We spend a lot of time trying to avoid things in our lives and stories. It's not just true of me. It's true of all of us. What are the things that you are expending good God-given energy to avoid in your own story that maybe if you could just turn and look at it and face it, that you could be free. So this weekend has been an exercise in not avoiding what I know is going to be inevitably difficult. You see, Jesus went through Samaria. He went through Samaria. He didn't go around Samaria. And not only that, but he stopped to take a rest in a perceived unholy place. And he has an interaction there. And that's what I want to talk about. As he rests, a woman comes along. And it's midday. And she's coming to get water. Now at first glance, that doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. Yet it was really a big deal for her. It was a very, very big deal, in fact. We learn later on in the story that, that this lady had broken relationships. And we don't get to hear the exact circumstances of those relationships. We don't get to hear if, those, if they were self-inflicted brokenness in her relationships or there were things that circumstantially happened to her. Uh, but what we do know is that she had broken relationships. And so broken, actually, that, that she was there alone at midday because she was living in a community but was not a part of the community. She lived there in the community but was not included in the community. And the women of that community were making sure of it. And so she comes to the well alone. She comes to the well alone because the community was not able to take and accept her. Now, that should have been enough. Uh, these broken relationships, that should have been enough, actually, for Jesus to not interact with her. But the fact that God had made her a woman was an even bigger reason 
that Jesus should not have engaged her in any other, in any way at all. Right? Contextually, it was extremely inappropriate for a Jewish man, never mind a rabbi, to engage a woman alone in any sort of dialogue, even to acknowledge that she was there was an inappropriate act on Jesus' part. Culturally, it would have been understood that something extremely inappropriate was there. It was happening there. And yet we see Jesus opening himself up to the accusations of others. By simply acknowledging her. He was doing something that in our context and in our culture likely would have gotten him canceled a lot sooner than he was canceled. And yet he, and yet he did it. Right? And not only does he engage her in conversation, he asks her to do something for him. To, get her, to see if she could get him a drink of water. The text doesn't fully say it, but we can assume that she did do that. Which means that Jesus then also broke another cultural barrier and drank the water from a Samaritan's cup. He received the hospitality of this woman. And he really shouldn't have done that. It's a profound thing. Like, it may not seem like a big deal to us, but in the context in which this story takes place, it was a massive, massive deal. Who are the people we consider inappropriate to speak to with or be in relationship with? Think about that. Who are the people that you have determined are inappropriate to speak with or even be in a relationship with? We all have them. Don't fool yourself to think that you don't. We all have them. Each and every one of us has these kinds of barriers that are present in our story. Maybe they are people that we have determined are outside of God's embrace. Maybe they are. And the question that I want to ask you is, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And, and, and then I think we have an answer. What, what did Jesus do with that? What did Jesus do with that? Well, they begin a conversation. It's a debate at first. That's how it starts. It's a debate at first. Uh, and they kind of go back and forth about the law. Right? They talk about all these different beliefs that they have, and, and they talk about where is the appropriate place to worship, where is the most important place to worship, almost as if they were saying, well, where is the most important church to be at? Who's got it right? And who's got it wrong? Who's allowed here and who's not allowed there? And trying to figure out who had it right. They literally are talking about that. That's what ends up happening in this conversation between the two of them. And there's a whole sermon there which I am not going to preach today. Thank goodness, right? Yeah. 
But what is so true of Jesus and what has been so true even at Lake Ridge is that this debate and this conversation that takes place inevitably ends up, get this, talking about stories. It ends up talking about story. It inevitably ends up talking about real life. Not just the law a bit, but it starts talking, they start talking about the woman's story. And Jesus does not condemn. There's no condemnation. Only love in this story. Only love and compassion. All right. I've been telling some of my coaching clients in the last week, uh, this past week, that God doesn't um, just see them with compassion. You hear me? I'm going to clarify. God does not just see you with compassion. He gives us compassion. It's like a gift that is given to you. And just like every other gift that's given to us, it requires opening. It requires experiencing. It it requires taking in that compassion and allowing it to shape and transform you. It allows you and gives you permission to be free from even all the hard things that that, that we haven't figured out yet and the things that we've done wrong. The gift of compassion requires being open and experienced. It is not just a gift that we're supposed to turn around and give other people. Listen to me. If you are giving away compassion that you haven't experienced yourself, it is a weak compassion. It's weak. So I encourage you to experience the gift of compassion that was given to you to open. This is not just about how Jesus sees you. This is about the gift he's given you to open and experience. Don't give it away until you have experienced it fully so that you can explain it and you can give it away in the appropriate, godly manner in which it was given. Right? This discussion uh, of the law turns into a discussion of life and faith. And here's what I think is so fascinating about this part of the story is that it wasn't just about uh, the woman's story. There was an authentic dialogue between these two people. There was both speaking and there was listening on both sides of these people's life, of Jesus' life and this woman. And, and, And this is one of the most profound things to me, is that Jesus shares with her his secret. You see, in chapter 4 of John, which is where this story is found, we see Jesus share for the very first time, the very first time, his secret with the Samaritan, a woman, an outcast, a person of questionable choices. He shares his most intimate part of his story with the most unlikely of people. If you have come to this space feeling like you are the most least likely of people to accept God's heart and God's secret, I gotta tell you, you are in the exact place you're supposed to be. Completely appropriate. 
in the eyes of Jesus to accept and understand that good gift, his secret. He shares it with her, and it's pretty awesome. And, uh, and he says uh, in this conversation, which we read earlier in verse 25, actually, he, said, he shares with her that he is the Messiah. And I was telling uh, some people yesterday, I, I'm going to tell this story. I wasn't going to, I'm going to tell the story. Um, early on in Lakeridge's history, when we were still meeting in homes, um, I'd done a really, really great sermon. It's probably as good as this one. But we're just in a small group because that's who we were. That's what church was like for us. It was just a bunch of people in a living room. And I don't know actually what I had said, but I had definitely been explaining some things really, really well, and I would used the term Messiah multiple times. And then I had decided I was going to give out pieces of paper and give people a chance to ask questions, and then we'd, we would use that for our discussion afterwards, which we used to do a lot of. I hand out these pieces of paper, and it was just simply like, if you have any question at all, write it on your piece of paper, and we're just going to bring it back and we'll just talk about it. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> we do that, and the notes go around, and, and I get them all back in this basket, and the first note I open up to see what the question was. <laughs> oh, I love Lakeridge. The first question was, what the hell is a Messiah? And there were simply a couple people there that had heard me explain this beautiful message about how Jesus was the Messiah. And all. She had no idea even what a Messiah was. And I had missed the mark. And so in, in a moment, we kind of sat there and I had a chance to say, well, here's what a Messiah is. It simply means Savior. So I rarely say, uh, that he was the Messiah without reminding people that that means Savior. In verse 25, this is how it goes. It says, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow. I, the one that you were speaking to about, I am he. See, Jesus shares his secret with her in the most intimate moments of truth-telling that we see in the scriptures. The most intimate tellings of truth in the scriptures we see between these two people. Very seldom does the Bible describe a conversation between two people. It's there. There's a few places. And this is one of them, but very seldom do we see these kinds of interactions and we get to see this one. Spence telling the truth is the greatest form of freedom that we'll ever experience, and it is uncomfortable uh, sometimes to do. Right? Telling the truth in kindness, even though it might make people uncomfortable at times, is profoundly important for us as the people of God. Jesus reveals himself not only to those who are comfortable inside of these walls, but he reveals himself equally to those who are not comfortable inside these walls and are outside of these walls as well. This is 
a story and an example of that. We do not hold the market on the voice of God because we come and worship on Sunday mornings. We have a big God, a big God that speaks words of truth wherever and whenever and to whomever he chooses to. And that might make us uncomfortable sometimes. It's made me uncomfortable sometimes. But it doesn't change truth. It does not change truth. It is my conviction that if we want to see that truth, if we want to experience that truth, we must be willing to go out of our places of comfort, both inside the church context, and we also need to be willing to do that inside of our own selves. Start with telling yourself the truth. It is the life-transforming good work of the Spirit of God in our lives and stories. Right, these places, both inside of our hearts, but also out there and in this room, are the places where Jesus has re- promised to reveal himself. It is his great passion to do so. It is his great passion to do so, so share. To share with you his intimate truth of how deeply he loves you. Amen? All right. I'm wrapping up. Conclusion. I want to say some things to to Lakeridge. And I'm going to try to do this. So that you will hear to the best of your ability what I believe is true in this. I'm proud of you. I am really proud of you. I am proud of the places that you have followed Jesus into this community. And I have been honored to go to some of those places with you. When this whole church thing shakes down, it's really just about loving God and loving people. And you have heard me say that. It's really just about loving God and loving people. Okay, so this week, funny story, Maybe something more than funny story. I was cleaning out my office, and I came across this, this notebook. And, uh, and it's an old notebook. And uh, um, it's a notebook that I had taken to a class, like a classroom class, that I had to take that I didn't want to take. Um, yeah, surprise, surprise, I didn't want to be in the classroom. And uh, it was at a time, actually, when I, when I felt completely overwhelmed by pastoral ministry. And some of you were here a few weeks ago. I shared a story about, about, uh, about some elk. And ironically, this notebook is the notebook that I was using in the class that I was taking there. And so now I know exactly when it happened. It was in 2008. It was two years before I, uh, Kristen and I had ever considered planting a church. Two years before that. And I had been forced to take a class, and there's a whole bunch of questions I had to answer in here, and, and, and including talking about the church I was presently in, and favorite mentors, and what I thought that leadership meant, and what discipleship was all about, and even there was a place where I had to write my hobbies. I should read that one for you, it's funny. 
That's right, my hobbies. Here's what my hobbies were in 2008. I like to play hockey. I like to watch hockey. I like to read about hockey. <laughs> I like to spend time outdoors, quadding, hiking, and also I like to build stuff like houses, etc. And then at the bottom it says, I had to write my significant achievements. So in 2008, this was my significant achievement. I currently hold the record for the most wins at our youth group's annual all-night laser tag event, undefeated seven years running. <laughs> so I wrote, <laughs> those were my, uh, yeah, my accolades. But that's not what I, what I really want to share with you. This, this is what I want to read for you. Among some of the questions, I had to um, describe a church I would envision planting if I ever planted one. And uh, so, so funny that this, I found this this week, so I'll read for you. And uh, it's in my handwriting, so it's going to be hard to read. Here it says, describe the church you would envision planting. Two years before. I would envision a group of people of all ages learning to listen to God's voice in their individual lives, which would translate into the group. I would envision them being obedient to serve the community that they lived in by loving their neighbors. I would hope that they would value things like authenticity, messiness, and truth. I would pray that they would consider others first and hold loosely their own opinions, leaving room for personal growth. I would trust that in doing these things, that they would become a worshipful people who would care for this kingdom of God's as good stewards. Mostly, I would want, the, I, I would want a people accepting of others in love, rooted in God's word and in God's truth. Friends, I believe you have become this. I believe that you have become this. You have made not only the dreams of some of the people that started Lake Ridge come true. I won't take this one as my own. I believe that you have become this and you have become the dreams of some of the people who gathered in those living rooms to choose to be a church that would do things differently in the things that we do and the way in which we experience people. You have grown as individuals and you have brought your true self to church on Sunday mornings. And it has been messy. It has been messy. You have been authentic even when it was really scary. And really messy. You have made space for others. Even when it made you uncomfortable. You have been good stewards. Of the gifts. That God has given you. And you have used them by serving God. In this community. In this city. And I see no reason why you will stop today. You have two great pastors in Eric and in Preston. Two people who are passionately in love with God and love with people. You two, two people who are very capable 
of helping to lead you into the new places where God will take you. And you can trust that they are growing and that they are messy and they are going to show their cracks over the next couple of months and years and that is actually true of me and it has been all along and that's why we've got what we've got here. Always give your pastors as much permission to fail as they give you. You have done that for me and I trust that you will do that for Eric and for Preston, and for those who come after them, whether they are men or women, who will lead you into the future. They are committed to walking and doing life with you. Allow them into your stories so that they might be able to help you see God's Spirit working in you and in your story. You have four solid values in generosity and worship and in story and in community. Four places that God has not just given us his words that are fancy on boards or in brochures, but God-given guidelines to how to go about loving this place. You have each other. You have each other to listen to, to teach to learn from, and you have a God who has loved you and has promised to love you in your worst moments. In your worst moments. That's the kind of God that you have. I see no reason why you would need to stray away from those. May God give you all of the wisdom and all of the love and all of the stories and the community and the worshipful experience and all of the generosity that the kingdom of God holds so that you may be able to love this city because Jesus loves this city. Love each other. And love God. And you will be just fine. Even when it gets ugly and gets messy. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, as we started this service, we ask that your, present, your spirit would be present with us here in this space. And I believe that you have come through and you have fulfilled the promise of being in this space. And I also believe that you're not done even today with doing good things in the lives of those of us who are in this space and in the lives of those who are listening online and in the lives of those who don't even know Lake Ridge exists in this city. God, by the gift of your love, you have set us free. God, help us to live into that freedom. Allow us to free others who are afraid, who are scared, who are feeling left out and excluded. God, help us to remember this interaction you, your son had with this woman. Help us to remember the inappropriateness of that and the profound life transformation that took place in not just her life, but in the whole life of her community. God, would you be with my friends? Would you help them not to avoid 
the difficult or the pain in their own stories or even the life of this community as it goes forward for 5, 10, 25, 100 years. May this be the kind of church that will turn and face the hard things, the uncomfortableness. May they always be a space where people are allowed to come through its doors and share their stories. God, may we all grow as we do that. By your spirit, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and receive the benediction? Oh, this is weird. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace as you continue to live into the compassion of God. And as you go from this space into this community to demonstrate it, to extend it to others, to experience ultimately his love in your own lives and in the lives of others. Amen? Go, church. Thank you.